Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Velasco. Unfortunately, Ugo couldn't be with us to take a part in this week's interview, but I am here in the Osa Peninsula of Costa Rica with a new friend of mine, Dennis Valverde, who is our local tour guide here in this area and a an extreme expert in the local flora and fauna of this region. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Uh, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys, and I'm ready to talk a little bit about this uh, rainforest of Costa Rica, which is a really, really good area to come and explore. Excellent. Well, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background, and you are uh, an expert, like I said, in the flora and fauna, but you're also an extremely good photographer, which, of course, is why I'm working with you while I'm on the scouting trip. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a, a very nice week. Uh, my name, again, is uh, Dennis uh, Valverde. I am uh, 33 years old. Uh, I was born and raised in this peninsula that is located in the southwest part of the country. Um, and I come from my family's, uh, they are farmers, and I left this place for 10 years to study it, and, and, and uh, one thing came to the other one, and I got hooked into tourism, which was my, my everyday thing that I always liked to be part of the nature, but I didn't know what to do uh, at that point when I was a, a young or teenager. Well, I came here for vacations, and I never left this peninsula again and uh, I got the my first job into a butterfly farm actually I, I worked I worked there for one year and also I did some of my English classes and courses at the same time and I got interested in a lot and to know more and teach more to people because everyone that I knew or I or I met from other countries everyone were asking me about many things that I didn't know so that was one of the main things, like, oh, I should know more about this place because a lot of people ask me about it. And so that's how we started to, I got a certificate to be a, a, a naturalist guide, a naturalist guide. So you need to do for different courses, first aids and different ones, like flora and fauna. And uh, when you got a license, you're, you can do guiding around the area. But I've been focused on working here in Crocodile Bay since 12 years uh, now. And uh, seven years ago, I started to take a camera in a hotel that was just to take people pictures of customers. And then I seen that I liked it, and, and I started from there for my own and, and did some more photography. And then now that's um, my other passion, together with uh, uh, just guiding around. It's also trying to show uh, people the wildlife, but also trying to get pictures of the same uh, animals and stuff. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> like you mentioned, we're here at Crocodile Bay Resort, which is a, a fantastic uh, place that uh, is hosting me on this trip, and uh, I'm doing a scouting trip because next year I'm going to be bringing a group back here, and I always scout the destination in advance, and they've connected us 
for you to be my local guide because of your photography background and you understand what I'm looking for when it comes to timing, uh, time of day, light. Uh, but what I also love, and, and Costa Rica was never really high on my list as far as destinations go, but I met uh, Brian and, uh, and Bryce Johnson, who are uh, uh, part owners of the, the resort at the uh, travel show, and they approached me about coming down here about a little over a year ago, so here we are, and <clears throat> they're down here as well, and they're fantastic photographers too, and the four of us have done some great outings. Uh, talk to us specifically, before we get into the photography part, about the Osa Peninsula specifically as a part of Costa Rica overall. Yeah, uh, Costa Rica and the between the 1940s to the 80s, uh, in general, we got into a process to deforestation or make clearing areas to do uh, farming and cattle, and we lost a lot of forests. But this peninsula, particularly, it was the one with more, more farther away from that development and uh, or changes of the land use. So that helped it to be more um, protected somehow. And nowadays it holds 70% uh, of primary forest that means never being cleared. That uh, makes a very special place because uh, we still have uh, these native forests intact that they can hold a lot of diversity of uh, animals like monkeys, sloth, anteaters, uh, weasels, possums, deers, tapirs, cats, all kind of animals that uh, in other places in Central America will be more hard to find and, and here people have more chances that's why uh, people from all over the world come to the Osa Peninsula to try to get as much they can in a short time because that is what is well known Costa Rica. Costa Rica is well known about a place that you don't have to move farther away to increase your list of things to see in terms about wildlife. Uh, for example just about uh, uh, in birds Costa Rica have around 914 species, and this peninsula have uh, 400 of them. So, uh, and that is just that part of that of the animals, but uh, and small creature from ladybugs, leafcutter ants, up to this big monkey like a spider monkeys, is all kind of levels uh, where people can enjoy it, everything, and that's why it's really well known that. And not just that, also we have the Golfo Dulce area that uh, is a nice beautiful bay that have humpbacks whale from se September to November which are the highest peak uh, and, and also beautiful beaches where people can have a mix between relax, see the water, go in the water, shoot the wildlife in, in, in the forest, it's all many activities that people can do in, in, in a shorter distance or amount of time. So. It's interesting you said uh, you know, that this part has sort of uh, been not that affected by the deforestation because of its remoteness uh, and if you were to try to get here by land it would be fairly remote but it's a quick 50 minute flight uh, from San Jose the capital and so it's it's very easy to get to in that sense and I just got here the other day via an airplane of about 12 or 14 seater and um, <clears throat> And we haven't seen many tourists at all, other than from this one resort, once in a while. But um, 
You also took us up to the uh, Sierpe River, and we did a river cruise, uh, just a small boat with four of us on it, four or five of us. And uh, I, you know, I'm sure everyone who meets you is just absolutely amazed at your ability to see uh, animals that, to our naked eye, don't appear to be there. But uh, I guess with your experience, you uh, you know where and what to look for. Um, and uh, we're always joking that you've you've got those eagle eyes because uh, I went out this morning uh, right here on the property, which has you know many many species. I mean, you could almost not leave this property at all and see uh, all the big the big uh, named species. And I went out this morning by myself and. I hardly saw anything but some egrets, and then you and I went out uh, two, three hours later, and you were just pointing left and right at all these insects and crocodiles and things that that I couldn't even see. Um, but uh, yesterday we went uh, to, on the monkey trail. Why don't you explain a little bit about the monkey trail to people? Yeah, it is called a monkey tour. Uh, we we set it like that because um, actually not much of a hiking what make it possible for anyone to enjoy that uh, tour as type of, of uh, safari type of trip. We have also another trips where people can hike, but uh, um, inside the forest is a little bit more, more hard to find st- stuff or animals because um, actually you will be covered for trees over 150, almost 200 feet tall trees very dark under by inside the forest and so it's less chances for appreciate the animals and especially to take pictures of them so we have this tour that what we do is uh, go along a road uh, where we pass for through different ecosystems by uh, pasture field areas where people can see hawks standing up in the, uh, on the top of the cows taking the ticks out of the cows like caracaras and we continue to cross river crossing where you can sometimes see the monkey like we saw the squirrel monkeys uh, passing by and you continue like that for different many ones until you get to a main part where the primary forest is in between two but you always be next to the river I mean sorry the road so you have more light hitting the both sides of the roads and get more chances or better chances to see uh, to take picture of the animals which is uh, something that people like to go back at home with some photos of animals and, and and so we saw in that day in less than four hours the four species of monkeys that we have in Costa Rica which are the mantlet holler monkeys black-handed spider spider monkeys American Central American squirrel monkeys and the other one called the uh, white-faced monkey and also we saw the brown-throated two-toed sloth and the husband two-toed sloth um, so that's what it's about it so it's a it, it's a spend five hours and knowing exploring the region uh, without hiking much and seeing a lot <laughs> that's what is is about the monkey tour it's a very very enjoyable and actually it's one of our favorite uh, activities to do with people because it's a very nice intro of the rainforest where people have a, a better idea how it looks uh, inside the different ecosystems and how diverse it is placed by uh, birds, lizards, monkeys, sloth, and other animals that will be along the way. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a road that goes uh, almost right along the coast. It's just uh, inside of the coast, 
But like you say, we go through all these different ecosystems with these different types of wildlife, and there's not much hiking because we're driving and we kind of get out every now and then when we when when you see something and point it out to us uh, once in a while we would but um and and plus you're saying that the forest can be so dense that it's probably not a good idea or maybe not even safe to to go in there because you could get lost very easily i imagine right yeah no we have trail like uh, our mark trails but uh, where we found it is that inside the forest is uh, because we have still a lot of forest so those areas are very big and they have a big extension. So the animals are more spread out in those areas. And the visibility inside the forest is way less because there are, there are many different layers. And from the bottom to the top, the, the distance are way, way higher than if you go in the roads near the roads. And actually the monkeys, the, or, or the monkey that we visit in those areas, are, are very interested in some other type of forest that are near the road. That wa- that's why it's really special. And for me, that I've been traveling in other areas of this country, this uh, particular area called Matapalo Place, where actually it's a surfing beach, and it's, it's the easiest place in the whole country to see and photograph the monkeys and all the species. That's the number one place that we have in the country because uh, the, again, the, the, the monkeys found like uh, the mix between the secondary forest, the beach forest, and the primary forest not too far away is perfect for them. So they they visit that area every day. So what we don't wait, what we can't guarantee is to see all four, but for sure you will see them at least one or two species. And when you have a good day, all four species. Yeah, yesterday I hit uh, what has come to be called a grand slam in a double header meaning that i saw all four of the monkey species that you mentioned plus the two-toed and the three-toed sloth in the same day and it was literally four or five hours that i that i saw plus countless insects birds and lizards and other species it was a very very good day and um then we, we uh, went to Matopalos, which is the the surfer beach that you're talking about. Had a really nice lunch. Uh, talk to us a little bit about photography in this area and what uh, uh, any tips that you have for good wildlife photography and uh, what kind of gear people uh, should consider. Although people come down here with uh, without any kind of gear, just to enjoy looking at the animals. You don't have to photograph. Yeah, no, the, one of the things about the Osa Peninsula is that people want to see as much as they can. It doesn't, it doesn't really mean that people need to bring a very big or fancy cameras to try to get the best of the nature because it's not a guarantee for someone to bring a $20,000 camera that that person will see more than someone to have a little bit less. So it doesn't mean, it's not like that. So actually, with a bigger gear, makes it actually is uh, less chances because uh, the mobility is way less. So actually, traveling light, you will have more chances. Uh, but it depends on uh, the interest too, because a lot of people love ne- a macro, a macro is something that is just outside the door of their dro- of their rooms. Mm-hmm. So meaning that the chances for someone that like mac- macro and everything. Will, that person will have a lot of pictures at the end of the trip. If someone is just specific on something, they can get covered that part too, but it will be less photography. Um, 
it's quite hard and when it's the time of photography just because uh, the condition the condition conditions change so quick you will be in a bright spot to a, a dark spot in only a second the animal move or, of course a lot and lights when it is not even light so some so it's a very hard type of photography but it's a nice challenge it's a, it's a very nice challenge uh, to try to you know uh, get them and the different situations and I'm pretty sure if you, when you finish your trip here you'll be so happy because you will shoot anywhere else in the world and not having a problem <laughs> so this is a very challenging photography but it's really fun because you will have a lot of targets it's not like a place where it's hard but you don't have many so the only one shot that, or that you have if you miss it you lost it and here is different you have a hard time in the beginning just because to get used to okay you need to high, uh, put very high ISOs because you know, some areas are really dark and some pine people, oh, I don't like the noise and all that. You have to forget about the noise, uh, talking things and all that. You have to get the shots. That's the mission here. So people that uh, want to come to here, they have to forget about all these type of limits. They're not, they're, you, you cannot have limits in here about your gear and term about uh, that any gear will work. But uh, the best is, again, uh, to try it and you have a lot of opportunities to try it with uh, any type of or camera or lenses or whatever so even uh, we have customer with just cell phones and they really enjoy it we have a spotting scope that there is a slot way up in the tree we put a, a spotting scope and we take pictures through the through the scope with the phone and it looks fine and then people if the people love that and, and they will be happy with a nice picture of a sloth and a fun you can do it too so it's not a uh, limitations for uh, if someone don't have a uh, super cameras and again actually the one that have not a super big camera have more chances to get more stuff than those people yeah and it's a it's a really good point now i i always talk about as travel photographers we have to be jacks of all genres masters of some uh, I do not consider myself a wildlife photographer whatsoever. This is the first, I guess, real wildlife photography that I've had a chance to do. I've really enjoyed it. But like you say, um, you know, you, you, you may be disappointed because the animals may not show. But uh, here, the chances are pretty likely that they're going to. However, like you say, you could walk out the front door of your hotel and a whole other world will open up to you if you uh, would consider macro photography, which can be incredibly beautiful and interesting. And uh, you've shown me some, some great photo opportunities. Uh, Bryce, who I mentioned earlier, has an incredible Instagram feed with macro photography. Um, do you have some tips for uh, those folks who are thinking about getting into macro photography? Yeah, I know macro is definitely a nice world and, and, and it always depends about the gear that they have because there are different levels of macro. So we have uh, from a small ends or only millimeter sizes up to uh, butterflies that are also considered macro that are not that small. So at the end depends on the gear they have to have more uh, more enjoyable time with them. Also, we have flowers that are really nice that can be part of that collection and a lot of forms of leaves and all that. Photography is uh, everywhere here. This is an evergreen forest that never change, uh, which means that you come here all year round and always will look green, meaning that the animals always will be there and different sizes. So there are no chance, uh, there are not 
there's not a, a, a best time of the year, there's not a best time of the hour. Every day is different because uh, all our animals stay here all year round. So the one that has to be here is you. Come with your camera outside there and take a picture of that. Now for macro there are two different ways, and uh, daytime of course, when it's really bright it's nice because you know that light helps you to get the picture more quick and, and also more control light with the uh, nighttime which are different, uh, different group of animals. So at nighttime we will have probably more spiders, maybe more frogs, and in the daytime more like uh, butterflies, colorful butterflies, or, uh, or dragonflies, that will be more like a daytime situation. So we'll have uh, both uh, different type of macro photography. It's very enjoyable, uh, it's quite hard. Sometimes people try with tripods, which is easier if the subject doesn't move. But here everything moves, so it's, it's one of those things that you said I bring a tripod or not bring a tripod, but uh, if you shoot landscaping, at least you have two excuses to bring a tripod. You don't really need to have a super big tripod, uh, especially if it's macro, but uh, if you have it for landscaping or something else, you can use it or try it. But uh, in my personal use, I don't really use much of the tripod because they're really hard with the little animals in here. Even at, even at night? Uh, even at night, I don't use yeah. it. Especially if you use flash, it will be easier to. Mm. Uh, real, you don't, you have you set up all the speed, and you you know that it's be enough by hand. So it's actually easier if you use flash uh, flashlights at nighttime. Because uh, typically, when, when uh, most people think of night photography, we think of slow shutter speeds. No. But that's not what you're doing. I no. mean, you're talking fast shutter speeds. Yeah, no, you just set up like a 250, for example, that's mm -hmm. some of the minimum for flash. Even for the pop up flash that the camera has, um, it will be a 250 maximum, and that will be enough. Uh, it's more about diffuse the light, but it's more the most important because you can uh, take the picture. But to make the people look more tridimensional, with more light in the background and all that, that means that you need more different lights around it to, com to make that look different, not that flat as a shot. But to get the animal shot, one light is enough. But to make it look different, that's when you need more light. But uh, it doesn't matter, as uh, more light you need, uh, as more light you have, less sh le you don't need that much of the tripod, so because you're covered by the, all the lights, so you will not move. Only something like moving like crazy, but usually at night time, the animals, they don't move that fast. Uh, and at daytime, they will you'll have more, more troubles shooting at daytime without flash, because they, those guys move more. If it's a little shade, and you just need to shoot like at F8, F9, so you need to put a lot of ISO and all that. So the picture don't have the same quality at the daytime with natural light than the nighttime with flashed. It's, it's just, just different, depending on what, uh, what you're look, uh, looking for. But yeah, that's just the macro part. We have the bird photography. A lot of people like birds. But that one, you yeah, you will need a little bit more than 300, minimum more than 300 millimeters to get uh, some of the birds. Uh, if it's a crop sensor, 300 will be uh, fine. Uh, if you got a little bigger, it will be better for birds at least. Monkeys with 300 will be fine. So I don't think you need a 600 for just for monkeys. Uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, here you can get a uh, macro lens, one wide, wide, open, wide lens for some of the beaches, and one 300 for uh, wildlife, you will be fine. Yeah, and you, uh, you have this capability to actually talk or call the animals. You, you <laughs> have, you've got a lot of animal calls. 
and the animals will actually come to the call, uh, which to me is absolutely fascinating. Uh, talk to us about the importance of knowing the behavior of animals when it comes to photography. Well, yeah, that's uh, very important, and I think that is just like the practice and uh, every day, you know, that you um, are in front of that animal and you start to learn how they can really move. Sometimes you think like a, like a macaw, for example, that is eating a fruit and they drop the fruit and they start to look right or left, you know that's going to fly because it's not picking more fruits. And then at that moment is when you would tell people, okay, get ready, put your sardines, speed fast because they might fly. And then sometimes they just fly, as I, I told, I said. But uh, again, it's just because I see it before. And same with the monkey. Sometimes you see like, like a, the, the, a bouncing one from the branch from down to up, and that means that like it's, it's trying to get a momentum to jump to the other side, and that happens too. Sometimes the monkey is there, and you just make a noise just to make it turn, and they do it. So it's just you know those things that we used and we practiced so much time before with them that actually we kind of like a get to know them how they do and with the noises I don't know we just practice every day when we can <laughs> like a holler monkey like this that's like a mantlet holler monkey that's actually one of the loudest animal in the in the American forest yeah it's a very loud animal it's incredibly loud and it's a yeah. fairly small monkey oh yeah people think like they're like a big elephant and trees <laughs> I, I well the first time i ever heard a holler monkey was in chiapas mexico and i never saw the monkeys but i could hear them and it sounded like dinosaurs like the you know jurassic park yeah, or something yeah. so interesting and one thing that i learned from you too and from uh, from brian and bryce was uh, watching these monkey troops are they called troops yeah troops. yeah monkey troops uh, coming through the forest canopy and we, you know, there might be what twenty or thirty uh, in some of the troops that we saw. Yeah, depend on the troop. The uh, holler monkeys could be up to sixty, but they do subdivide and sub troops. The biggest one could be the squirrel monkeys, up to 80, 90 individuals, wow. because they're the smallest. So they need to be in big packs or troops uh, to try to have more eyes around and protect each other, because they have more enemies uh, like the other ones than the other ones. Mm -hmm. They can have uh, snakes like boa snakes, they can have a uh, weasel, tropical weasel. We Rock birds. Yeah, we have uh, cats. We have mm. five different types of cats here. And uh, yeah, those are like a, a good animal to eat for them. <laughs> yeah, but um, with regards to the monkey troops moving through the forest canopy, it was great because there's so many you have actually quite a few chances to photograph because we could see sort of a trail in the trees and we knew that if you know two or three kind of took this route or this branch that chances were the other ones were going to follow right yeah that's uh, usually what they do and also actually also the enemies know that too for example sometime uh, pumas like uh, we call them here uh, pumas you call them a mountain lion uh, those animals, they follow the monkeys, and for example, like spider monkeys, well, which are bigger. For them, it's good to try to hunt something bigger so they can eat a lot. And they just wait, and they follow in them, and then they know at one point one of the branches are a little low, and everyone is following each other by the same trail, like a, a, a like a path trail, 
So I w and they just wait, and they will know that will be more monkey that is not as as bright as the other ones. So that puma will go up in the tree and climb it and take that monkey down because that will be the lower area that the the, the puma saw. So he's watching to see which is the monkey that will have less warning or less less smart, and they will take that one down because they follow like that patterns. It's like a the leader will take a head and they say, okay, this is the safety area. But still, you have to be careful, probably, that the other one probably didn't listen to that how they got caught. There are some videos that I've seen uh, how pumas are playing with their prey, which is a spider monkey. And he's just in the ground, he's playing like a little cat with a little lizard. <laughs> and the monkey's trying to climb up to escape from the cat, but the cat already have it in his power. So he will just stare, resting, waiting until he's starving again to eat that monkey. Yeah, I've seen videos of that. So that's... Uh, yeah, monkeys follow each other, and some that's how you can get opportunities. The best key is when you are in front of those troops, is to move quick uh, a lot, a lot around, you know, because there are so many branches in the way, and sometimes the window that you have is covered by a branch, but if you move like a couple feet to the left or right or back, you can see how much change that window, and then from a block a window that you have could be one very nice, clear, clean, uh, shot of them so that the, the, the best key here is to move move as quick as you can anyway the monkey will not care because they're up in the trees so if you move on the ground they don't care about you so that meaning that you can move fast and then change your uh, your your view of them and that way you get more chances to get a clear shot of them it was great because we got some shots of uh, the female monkeys with babies on their backs. I assume they were all yeah. females, really. That well, no, were, not the, the males too. But, uh, they could the males. Uh, males even too. even sometimes female that does they are not their sprints. They can they give them. You know they rotate the babies. Ah, so, so not, not they'll just, carry other yeah, just carry, they monkeys. Carry other babies, yeah. Interesting. It's a troop, so like everyone, like at least uncle will take the babies or a little while a while. And uh -huh. the baby can go up in the mail a little bit too. It's just, they just that's, switch around the, the babies, yeah. That's interesting. And when I, you, you can hardly see this from the, the forest floor when you're looking up, I don't know, 30, 40 feet into the canopy. And you see, a, you can tell that it's a, a baby on the back of a, another monkey. But uh, when I zoomed in on the computer, I noticed that the baby was sleeping. Yeah. Which uh, I think is really interesting. Uh, yeah, they, uh, the monkeys depends. Um, only the squirrel monkey, they don't have a prehensile tail, which is a tail that uh, is uh, capable to hold or to grab something. Only the monkeys in the New World have that type of tails. And the, mo the three monkeys that we have here, the white face, the howler, and the spider, all, all of them have a very strong prehensile, uh, prehensile tail. So when they're babies, uh, what they do is their their tail grab the base of the mother tail or the adult tail. Mm -hmm. So as a very good grip, because that tail of the mother is busy uh, grabbing something else. So the babies are just there with their arms, trying to grab as hard they can from the little fair of the mother, and that extra the tail of themselves they're wrapping on the mother's tail as an extra uh, support. So in the wild, the parents, they never hold the babies. The babies have to hold themselves self, uh, since, the, since they're born. So that's like a, uh, like a 
instinct. Yeah, the instinct, but also is if they don't make it, it means they will be a weak baby. Survival so of the fittest. Yeah. It's called yeah. a natural selection. Mm-hmm. So and sometimes they have two because they can have two, and one of them is just drop the baby, or the be- between the two babies are fighting, and one has to go down, mm-hmm. and then you usually don't see it with two, but they could have two, but only see one. Yeah. Yeah. S- survival of the fittest. Exactly. Uh, speaking of animals following a path or a line talk to us about the leaf cutter ants which i'm absolutely fascinated by and we spent quite a bit of time watching and photographing yeah no that's uh one of the most common question when the first day of someone arrived to our hotel crocodile bay and come oh, on what are the name of those ants that bring the leaves on top uh, yeah the article leaf cutter ants for me, the name has to be different. It should be because they can bring any type of digital material into their nest, which is in the ground. And it could be up to two meals or ants, and they are just taking the grounds, garden. But uh, we don't really fight against them just because everyone is very happy taking pictures of them. <laughs> so we can forgive their, their stay here. So they are happy in, in these gardens. So we just do is just plant more trees for them, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are. Uh, they can go up to a very tall tree and get piece by piece from the leaves on that tree and take it down to a nest, which is inside the ground. And what they do with those leaves is just work with them and create a, a, the the material to grow a fungus that it will be on top of those leaves in the ground, and that's what they eat the fungus. So the fungus is delivered from that room to the queen to eat and also some uh, to the workers and the females. But most of the fungus goes for the next generation, for the larvas. That's where most of the fungus goes through because that will be the next generation that make the colonies that uh, survive. And, uh, and the, co- the queen, she can survive to 10 years, some of them. The other workers, which are females, I bring all the leaves and work so hard, no more than two weeks. That's a very, very short lifetime for uh, for the workers in company with the queen for a long time. But yeah, they are fascinating ants and watching them coming down from trees with leaves, sometimes with flowers that we saw uh, the other day and, and today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were carrying a lot of the white petals from different flowers. So it was really cool opportunities for taking videos, slow motion videos, Cameras, we like your cell phones, are amazing to to do a lot of stuff. So you feel like, oh, I cannot go there because I only have a, an iPhone. Oh, you're wrong. If you just bring an iPhone, you can have fun too. <laughs> a time lapse. Yeah, you take some really cool time lapses. Uh, yeah, those features are really cool with the, the new iPhones. And even you have like a something like a stabilizer for videos. It's a little like a little little tripod for your own cell phone. Can work great too. So. We can help you also to get uh, some cool tricks with uh, iPhone photography. So it's uh, many things that you can do it and, and here with that. Even uh, in the nighttime with the cell phones, it's really cool. If we go tonight, if it doesn't rain tonight, mm-hmm. you will see uh, with some just the, uh, little LED lights. That works really good for the iPhones. Great. See. Yeah, yeah the, the ants and all that's great uh, with the insects, with a lot of insects following each other like that you can be really created and those are really cool ants yeah and there's uh little highways almost throughout the property that over the years i guess the ants have just paved sort of this path 
that you see and then you look down and you realize that there's millions of ants uh, and today you pointed out the fact that one direction they were carrying leaves yeah. and there was a whole trail of ants going the other directions that were going back for more leaves yeah. right because they'd already dropped theirs off they have a different chip of happiness when that means bringing bringing leaves and working than humans <laughs> <laughs> so probably when they are not working and the inside the in the nest is they are really angry like oh no we need more leaves we need more leaves <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how they are really commitment, commitment committed to bring all those leaves and all for the one single mission, which is keep the queen alive and the next generation. So the ants that you see working are working for the next generation. That's a very, very deep message like we can have, you know, to for us, <laughs> because that's what we have to do, leave something for the next generation. And, and those ants, they do that, so they know uh, how important it is to keep working for the next generation and that's why they are really success and, and that's why we have uh, almost like a 20 different colonies in this uh, property and only uh, 60 acres in this property we have around 20 colonies here so they are they are taking this place here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you also is there a third ant that actually bores out the the colony underneath the ground takes the yeah no they are the waste uh, out they call them casts of ants casts okay yeah, like uh, we have the queen we have males we have female which bring the leaf we have soldiers we protect the uh, the colony from from other animals they are like a three times the size of the one that you saw and they'll have big jaws that they can pinch really hard uh, they also have minors like a little little ants that can travel in the top of the leaf that the other end the females are bringing to check in if there's any type of little eggs that are deposited by wasps or parasites that they lay the eggs in the leaves hoping that those ants bring the leaves inside the colony and they can hatch down there and it will be a trouble for the colony so sometimes those leaves are deposited in the trash just because they have something that they cannot be bringing back it's like a so, Trojan yeah, horse. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Exactly like a Trojan horse. Yeah. No, it's all kind of stuff there, and and, and also there are all some other females that are actually just taking care of. They call them nodrisas, the eggs of the queen. So they just take the eggs from the queen to different rooms, and they'll depend on the temperature or how deep it is. They will also know the, uh, you know different. One room is for the, the larva. One is for the the leaves one they are very well, well organized into the terms of the rooms and all that yeah it's fascinating uh, uh, species well uh, I can't thank you enough Dennis for being on the show uh, any last uh, words or tips for our listeners about photography in this part of the world oh no um, the biggest thing that I will say is yes uh, as you have to come here I mean, uh, you have to see with your eyes where we were just talking and not just uh, another place else. This is uh, rainforest in Central America, one of the few actually uh, biggest portions of land in the Pacific side from Panama to all the way to Mexico. This is the biggest portion of rainforest actually left. And so it's, uh, it's a lot to see and a lot to experiment. So it's very worth it for everyone to visit this uh, beautiful place. 
Yeah, and if, uh, if, if you're not uh, a traveler, then certainly look on YouTube if you'd like to, to see some of these uh, animals in action. But to be here and to personally see it with your own eyes and to be able to photograph it, it's beyond what I could have even imagined, and I've really enjoyed myself. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show, and uh, in the meantime, get out and shoot, but uh, people let you know that if you'd like more information about me, go to photoenrichment.com. You can follow me on all the social media networks, at Photo Enrichment and at Ralph Velasco. Uh, you can Google Ugo's name, Ugo Che, to find out more about him or go to ucphoto.me. And uh, I've got a couple trips coming up. Uh, Copper Canyon sold out, but I do have uh, several spots left on my India trip, uh, also on our Cambodia trip and Vietnam in December. So uh, looking forward to our next episode together. So in the meantime, let's get out and shoot.